Amen. Let's pray and get into the Word. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. And thank you for everyone who's here tonight. None by chance, all by divine appointment. We thank you for those that are watching on live stream or may watch this later on YouTube or Vimeo or hear it on the radio. And Lord, we just thank you for your Word. We pray again that it would go forth with power, that your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart that is here. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said. So as we've been going through 2 Kings, we know in 1 and 2 Kings, we've seen that the kingdom of Israel was torn into, the 12 tribes were torn into two different nations, if you will. The 10 northern nations were Israel, the two southern nations that included what was Judah, which also encompassed Jerusalem. We saw a few weeks back that the Assyrians had run over the top of Israel because Israel had, had king after king after king after king that was ungodly. They literally had built... Uh, altars to worship every false god you can think of. Started with Solomon and his thousand wives, and then building altars to their false gods. And uh, I was just listening to something today, and it's interesting that on that hillside later is uh, the home where Judas uh, betrayed the Lord, and now today it encompasses where the, uh, the United Nations are. That ought to tell you something. But here, you know, and they're against Israel, and it's amazing how that works out. But what's interesting is that it was, it was that turning away from the true and living God. And we saw it in the beginning with Jehoram who set up, made it easier for people to worship idols by making the idols closer to where they lived. And they wouldn't have to travel all the way to Jerusalem. Well, by the time we come to chapter 20, Israel's gone. It's, no long, it's, you know, it's going to be gathered together as a nation again. But at this point, it's, it's been wiped out by the Assyrians. God allowed them to be judged righteously by an ungodly people. They put they put fish hooks through their nose and their lips and drug them off naked to a faraway land. So as we saw last week, the Assyrian king was not happy. He wasn't satisfied. The flesh will never be satisfied. And he wanted Judah. And if you remember last week that they were mounted up around Judah and, and the king that was in, in Judah at the time was Hezekiah. And we know that Hezekiah started off really well. Hezekiah was the first king in a very long time who literally tore down all the altars to all the false gods and, and had them worshiping the true and true and living God alone. And he was a man that was honoring to the Lord. And it says he was a good and an honorable king. And we ended last chapter that God, remember, God sent an angel two weeks ago, because last week we had our Christmas Eve message. Remember, the angel of the Lord came and wiped out 185,000 Assyrians in one day. The Assyrians fled and ran away. And King Hezekiah by the grace of God, they had won that victory because if God is for us, who can be against us? Now we're going to see in tonight's text that Hezekiah sadly does what a lot of us do and a lot of other people in the Bible do. Some of us may start well, but we don't finish so well. And I've told you guys this repeatedly, but my dad and I, who's now been in heaven since 2017, but he was a pastor for 60 years, and we would talk on the phone almost every day. My dad was one of my closest, absolutely closest friends. Uh, we would talk together about the Lord. I would call him between sales calls, and we would just talk about the Lord and pray together. And he's the most godly man I've ever met and my favorite Bible teacher, and it's pretty awesome when that's your dad. But one of the things we would talk about was to finish strong. And every phone call, we would end the message with, Love you, love you, Dad. He'd say, love you, son. Then we'd say, finish strong. Well, unfortunately, tonight we're going to see a man who does not finish strong. We're going to see God show him some grace, but unfortunately, he's going to allow his success to go to his head. 
And unfortunately, as believers, one of the biggest traps, even in ministry, is when God is doing something good, and maybe you're a tool in the hands of the master, and God's using you, for you to start to think that it's got something to do with you. And you're taking the focus off of the Lord. And whenever I see the worldwide ministry of with someone's name after it, I want to run from the building like it's on fire. The worldwide ministry of, and then they put your name underneath it. It's the worldwide ministry of Jesus. It's not you, it's him. Can I get an amen to that? And ministries, they got to stop that. It's nauseating because God, God uses us in spite of us. He doesn't need us. We need him. Amen. And we're going to see that Hezekiah is going to get wrapped up a little bit in his success. And then we're going to see what happens when there's some difficulty. So if you have your outline, grab it. Tell the message, the blessings of difficulty and the pitfalls of success. We're going to see both of those tonight, that through difficulty, uh, it's an opportunity for us to grow spiritually. And in the midst of success, it's a temptation for us to fall. It's a temptation for us to cease to be as humble, broken, and desperate before the Lord as we should be. So blessings of difficulty and pitfalls of success. First of all, difficult times in our life keep us humble, or they should. When we go through difficulty, it should drive us to our knees. It should keep us looking up. There's a great temptation to become prideful in times of success and to take credit for what the Lord has done. And we must make sure that we never lose sight of the fact that without him, we can do nothing. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And that he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So even if we're being used by God, we're just the foolish things of the world. Number two, in blessings of difficulty, pitfalls of success, difficult times can produce fervent prayer. We're going to see that Hezekiah is going to get caught up in his success. And as he does that, as he's won battles, as well, the Lord won the battle, it was one angel who killed 185,000 Assyrians. Hezekiah had nothing to do with that. But now he's going to be kind of full of himself and puffed up. And, and as he's puffed up, he's going to realize he's going to be, put himself in a position where he knows he's in trouble. And when he's in trouble, it's going to drive him back to his knees where he should have been all the time. See, the Lord loves us enough. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines because he wants to drive us back to where we should be looking up, not looking in the mirror. Amen? The fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man of Baal's month. God, God hears our prayers and he sees our tears. And I am so thankful for that. Point number three in blessings of difficulty, pitfalls of success. In difficult times, we must remember that God is in control. You know, sometimes the only way we can endure through the trials of this life is to take our eyes off of the waves and keep them on the Savior. Amen? See, we have to take our eyes off that which is temporary that is passing away and keep our eyes on that which is eternal. Keep our eyes on the Lord. God is in control. God is sovereign. God is faithful. God knows what he's doing. God is not surprised by whatever you're going through right now. Whatever trial, whatever difficulty you may be going through, it's good to know that God knew, every, God knew it before the foundation of the world, that God is faithful, that he loves you, and that God, again, is in control. Again, it's so easy to panic. Boy, is our, is our world kind of in a mess right about now or What? I mean, our country is in such a mess right now. I mean, you look at everything and, 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 you know, a lot of it just gets me excited because a lot of it are things that are talked about in the last days. Amen. And you know what? The plagues and the wars and rumors of wars and pestilence 
Even though this latest one that nobody's died from, but we're shutting the whole country down because we're afraid that someone might get it and not die from it. I, we just are living in the craziest time right now. And you know why people are afraid? Because they don't know who's in control. And you know why we don't need to be afraid? Because we know who's in control. Amen? And it should bring us peace and not fear. Number four, blessings to difficulty, pitfalls, success. When we cease to be desperate for God and become self-sufficient, God will leave us alone. Hezekiah is going to go through a tough time tonight because here's what's going to happen. He thinks he's got it all knocked out. He thinks he's, you know, hey man, I'm, I've got, I'm, I'm, I've just won a battle. I'm a wealthy man. I'm one of the most powerful men in the world. And he ceases to be desperate for God. You know what God does? He just takes his hands off of him. It's not going to talk about tonight's text, but it talks about it in the companion text, both in Isaiah and in 2 Chronicles, that the Lord left him alone. By the way, I don't want the Lord ever leaving me alone. How about you? I don't want the Lord taking his hands off of me. I need him. I want to hold on to him with both hands always. Amen? And that's the difficulty is that, you know, here's what can happen in life. Maybe you've got a great job. Maybe you make a lot of money. Maybe you've got your marriage is good. Your family's good. Things are great. And, you know, and people tell you how wonderful you are and how talented you are and how smart you are, how beautiful you are, whatever it may be. And after a while of listening to that, we can just be focused on ourselves and take our eyes off of the Lord. And you know what will happen then? The Lord will say, okay, you got it. I'll let you, well, I'll just let you take care of it for a while. And let's just see how that works out for Hezekiah tonight. And that should be a warning to all of us to stay humble, broken, and desperate. Amen? Number five, self-centeredness keeps us from God's will. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, we can get so caught up in ourselves. Again, the, the word of the year for 2019 was selfie. And, you know, we're just, it's how many pictures can I take of myself? It's nauseating. You take a there's people that have more selfies up online than times my father looked at me in my life. You know what I mean? There's this thing where like, like this is what I had for breakfast. This is what my hair looks like. This and, and here's the reality. Nobody's really thinking about you. They're just not. They're all thinking about themselves, looking at their own selfies. Amen? But self-centeredness, what that does is it keeps us from God's will. Because when we're self-centered, we want what, what our flesh wants. We want to be famous. We want to be well-known. We want to get a lot of likes and follows. You know, we want all those things that the world desires. And when we're focusing on ourselves, the Bible tells us very clearly that we're to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow Him. So we should be pointing people to Jesus, never pointing them toward us. And then finally, the Lord helps us to finish strong. Lord, help us to finish strong is really what I'm saying here. Lord, help us to finish strong because without Him, we won't. So let's begin there looking at blessings of difficulty, pitfalls of success, difficult times in our lives keep us humble. So the battle's just been won. Hezekiah's riding on a high at this point. Um, there's going to be some debate that this, uh, what, what takes place here might have happened prior to the Assyrian war. It depends on if whether you, how you look at it. But in either case, let's begin there looking at verse one. It says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. In those days at the time of the Assyrian invasion of Judah, the events of the chapter are also recorded in Isaiah 38. Good place to look. 
And while there are interpreters who believe the events took place prior to the events in the previous chapter, before the Assyrian defeat, we'll see that in verse 6, in 2 Chronicles 32, it seems to indicate that right after he won the war, right after he had his greatest victory, as soon as he ceased to be desperate for God, he got violently ill. And it's amazing, we see this in scripture often, where you'll see people who cease to be desperate for God, they think they've got it all, you know, they've got it together, and it's just been pronounced to him by the prophet Isaiah, get your stuff in order, you're going to die. Now, I want you to know when you see that in scripture often, if God gives them a warning, he's giving them an opportunity to repent. Amen? Does God already know how this is going to turn out? What's the answer? Yes. But he's telling him, you're going to die. Get your, get your, get your, you know, your stuff in order. Get your affairs in order. You know, say goodbye, the goodbyes you need to say goodbye and get your act together because you're going to die soon. But that was also an opportunity to take this man who'd become self-sufficient, looking in the mirror, taking selfies, you know, thinking about how wonderful he was, the battle that he just won. He didn't win it. The angel of the Lord won it for him. And he had gotten so puffed up and full of himself that God said, hey, you're going to die. Get your affairs in order. Now, in some ways, I think this is a blessing. I think, I think it is a blessing, period. Because you know what? Here's the reality. It's good to have a warning and be, and be told that you're going to die. Amen? One of, my, one of my biggest struggles with my son going to heaven is it happened so quickly, I never got to say goodbye. I never had a chance to talk to him. I never, when my dad died and my mom died, they both had lengthy illnesses, and I'm not, I'm not making those less. I'm just not. Those are difficult, and they suffered for years, one with dementia, one with Alzheimer's. But I had a chance to talk to my mom. She had it for seven years, and we met, and we talked about it, and everybody who loved her came to see her, and we were able to talk about her life. And when, a, when my young son at 28 years old is gone the next day, you, you, you feel like there's a hole there. I mean, he knew I loved him. I know that he loved me, but boy, I would give, I would give everything I own to sit down with my son for five minutes and be able to have that conversation. So in a way, God's blessing, blessing Hezekiah saying, okay, get your affairs in order. Say your goodbyes. You're going to be standing before me pretty soon. Get your act together. So the Lord is giving him a warning. In 2 Chronicles 32, it tells us, but Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart lifted up. Therefore, wrath was moving over him, over Judah and Jerusalem. Because he had won the battle, he was not thanking God. He was not praising God. He was not worshiping God. He had allowed his victory and the newfound fear of the surrounding nations who, you know, when you hear that 185,000 guys died in a single day from a mighty army at the hand of one angel, I'm thinking no one else is going to be coming after Judah anytime soon. And so because of that assurity that he has in his life, he ceases to cry out to the Lord. There's a lesson, hardship and humility. Sometimes God allows difficult times in our lives to cultivate humility. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. See, Paul was being used mightily. And when you're being used mightily, there's a danger of focusing more on yourself than focusing on the Lord. There's a danger to think of yourself more highly than you ought to. The Bible tells us that pride goes before destruction 
and a haughty spirit before a fall. So the apostle Paul, because he was used so mightily, you could say, I mean, I don't know if there's even the right terminology, but you could say one of, if not the most effective Christian who ever lived was the apostle Paul. You could say that. God used him to write most of the New Testament. He went from being the, the arch enemy of the church, Saul of Tarsus, and became the apostle Paul. And God allowed him to have a thorn in his flesh, and there's debate over what it was, and I think the Bible doesn't tell us what it is for a reason, because God can use anything to keep us in that place of humility before him. And we need to come to a place where we thank God that he's willing to love us enough to keep us humble. God desires that his people realize their blessings are coming from him, and sometimes God allows hard times to break us of our pride. Again, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit for a fall. That's Proverbs 16, 18. God gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. It says in James 4, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Hezekiah, like we all can begin to think more highly of ourselves than we should, in our, our, our arrogance or prideful self-assurance, God has a way of getting our attention. So he tells him, set your house in order. He thought he was all that. We're going to find out. You can look from the comparative text. He's 39 years old when he's told this. He's a young man. So at 39 years old, he's told, dude, you're going to die. You're done. He went from prideful, full of himself to, oh no. This may seem harsh and heavy, but God has been remarkably kind. Again, not everyone is given time to get their house in order. And again, we know that he was just 39 years old. So set your house in order. What would you do if God showed up or God sent a messenger or God gave a word to you and let you know you're going to die in three days, you're going to die in a week? What would you do? How would you get your house in order? What are the things that would be most urgent if you just had a brief amount of time to be about it? Is your house in order? It's a real deal. No, nobody has the promise of tomorrow. If you're an unbeliever, are you ready to meet God? I would ask that of everybody in the room. Are you ready to meet God? If you knew you were going to die in an hour, would you be panicked, afraid? Again, I, I get it. If we knew that we were dying, I'm sure there would be concerns about the people we're leaving behind. But are you ready to stand before the creator of the universe? And you know what? Sometimes God allows us to get very close to that so we know whether or not we're ready. In 2009, I, had what we thought, I thought I was having a heart attack. Most of you guys know my testimony. And it actually ended up being uh, heavy-duty gallstones that presented like a heart attack. But when I was in the back of the ambulance on the way there, I ended up being, being in the hospital for almost a year. But I was on the, on the way to the am, in the ambulance in the back of the... They were, I could tell they were panicking because they thought I was having a heart attack. And they're putting nitroglycerin down my throat. And they were saying on the thing that my blood pressure was so high, they didn't know if I was going to make it to the hospital. And you hear, when you hear people in the ambulance panicking, you think, wow, okay. Well, I had just taught Revelation chapter 1 uh, five days earlier, where you see Jesus, what he looks like in heaven. And I thought, wow, well, I guess I'm going to see the real deal now. This is good. And I'll be honest with you. I prayed about my wife and my kids, but I knew God would, they would take care of them. And I'll be transparent with you. I was pretty excited. I was like, heaven works for me right about now. I'm good with it. Amen. Now, as believers, death has no sting. We close our eyes on earth. We open them up in glory. We're going to hug Jesus. We're going to see our Savior face to face. No more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering, no more pain. We're going to see the Christians that have gone before us. I was, I was thinking in my mind, man, I'm looking forward to, you know, 
talking to the saints that have gone before me, talking to my, my great-grandmother who, was, who prayed for me from the day I was born, and, and just to catch him up on what happened in life, and all the, and, but more importantly, to see the Lord and worship him in spirit and in truth. Guys, see, as believers, death has no sting. We don't have to be afraid. But if we don't know the Lord, we should be afraid. Are you ready? Is your house in order? When you get to the pearly gates and they say, why should I let you in? What will they say? Do you think you've had enough good deeds stored up to outweigh your bad ones? If that's where you're trusting and you're in trouble. You'll never have enough to pay for your sins without Jesus' help. For believers, do you have unfinished business? Are there people that you're supposed to talk to about Jesus and you haven't done it yet? Amen? Are there people that you've stopped talking to, people that you've stopped praying for? You know, if you knew you only had a limited amount of time, well, who would you pick up the phone and call? Well, guess what? You may have a limited amount of time, so pick up the phone and make that call. Amen? Write the names down of the people in your family, friends, or people that are burdened on your heart that you want to see saved. I've got to finish my, son's Mark's, my, my son Mark's list for him. He had a list of people he was witnessing to, and he would talk to me, Dad, I want to see these people saved. Well, he's in heaven now. And I, don't, and I know he probably can't hear me in heaven, but I said, Mark, I promise you, son, I'm going to go witness to every single one of those people. I'm going to do it. I'm going to finish what you were unable to finish. And that should be our heart is, Lord, you know, would, have you done, are there people you need to forgive? Are there people in your life that you're separated from that you need to forgive? Forgive others as Christ forgave you. Well, guess what? That's a lot. Amen. And we need to have that heart to forgive. Why don't we get those things done today? Jesus told a story about a man who was so wrapped up in his work that he had no time for God. It's in Luke 12, verse 16 to 21. It spoke a parable saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and I will store up all my crops and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul shall be required of you. Then whose will these things which you have provided be? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Don't wait till you get the bad news from the doctor. Let's live every day like, like it could be this week, like it could be today. If there's people we need to forgive, let's forgive them. There's people we need to witness to, let's witness to them. If there's a calling that God's placed on your life and you're waiting for everything to be perfect to do it, that'll never happen. Get out of the pew and start serving Jesus now while you still have time. Amen? And too often it's, well, I'll serve the Lord as soon as this. Well, as soon as this is paid off. Well, as soon as I get this done. And you know what? The enemy can't take you to hell with him. He wants you to sit on the sidelines till you get to heaven. He wants you to just sit there and observe everybody else. But it's time to get in the game and start serving Jesus. Amen? Verse 2. So he's told, uh, dude, you're going to die. Kind of like the guy who said, hey, look at all my food. He's drinking me merry. Hezekiah, I just won a battle. No one's messing with us. The angel of the Lord killed 185,000 of our enemy. Yeah, man, we got it all going on. And then he says, you're going to die. Now watch what he does. He turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord saying. This shows the earnestness of Hezekiah's prayer. Hezekiah directed his prayer in privacy to God and not to any man, not even to Isaiah. Isaiah, come and deliver to him, you're going to die. What did he do? He got on his knees, he got on his face, he looked at the wall, 
and he cried out to the Lord. This is just the opposite of how the Pharisees prayed. How did the Pharisees pray? They like to stand in the middle of the street corner. And they would, they would want to be in the busiest place when the prayer time came. So when they prayed, everybody would go, oh, look how holy that guy is. Look how righteous that person is. And, you know, true prayer of, hum, of humility and brokenness comes, you know, in the prayer closet when no one else is watching. Now, look, I love corporate prayer, and we need to do more of it. When we gather together in his name, we should be praying together. Amen? But that being said, at least in my own life, my most fervent prayer absolutely comes when I'm alone with the Lord. Amen? And you know why? Because I can be honest, transparent. I can cry out to him from the depths of my soul. I'm not worried about anybody else. I'm not thinking about what anybody else thinks. I'm only focused on the Lord. And that's the kind of, and Lord, help us to have that prayer life. And Hezekiah, he's, he's, you know, he started off well. He tore down all the, you know, the altars to the false gods. But now he's gotten full of himself. And the prophet comes and tells him, dude, you're going to die. And you know what he does? What we all should do in times of desperation, he cries out to the Lord. That's the first place we should go. The Lord is our first stop, not the last resort. Can I get an amen to that? He should be the first one we turn to, the first one we cry out to. And Hezekiah gets on his face and he cries out to the Lord, turning his face toward the wall, even dismissing Isaiah. Look, Isaiah was a prophet of God. Guess what? We don't pray to prophets. We pray to the Lord. We don't pray to saints. We pray to the Lord. We don't pray to impress other people. We pray to the Lord. We pray and we worship to an audience of one. Amen. And he's the one that we cry out to. So point number one, blessings of difficulty, pitfalls of success, difficult times in our lives keep us humble. He started getting full of himself God allowed him in his pride to be brought low, to be made desperate, and Hezekiah responds in the way that he should. He could have got mad at God. He could have cursed God. He could have doubted God. He could have questioned God, and instead he cried out to God and praised God for that. That's an example we should all follow. Number two, difficult times can produce fervent prayer. Here, now we'll hear what he says. And it's going to sound a little funky when we listen to it because he's just basically been accused of being prideful. And his prayer is going to be kind of prideful. Let's take a look. Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I walked with you before in truth, with a loyal heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Again, this can come off as very proud. And to, the, to our ears, Hezekiah's prayer might also sound ungodly. He's putting the focus on himself. He's kind of reminding God of how wonderful he is in a way. I want to say this about the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, judgment was based simply this way, obedience and disobedience. If you obeyed God, you would be blessed. If you disobeyed God, you would be cursed. Just read through the Old Testament. He says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The highest form of worship was obedience. Now, praise God, we're not under the Old Covenant anymore. Because it's not based on, again, we should be obedient. We should desire to be obedient. That's God's highest. That's still our highest form of worship. But we're not saved because we're being obedient to, to the Lord. We're saved because of God's grace. Amen? Because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. Part of their obedience was bringing the sacrifices to the temple. Part of their obedience was following the law of Moses, and what the law commanded. And so here's what he's saying is, according to the old covenant, Lord, I've been faithful to you. You know, Lord, you know, I, I did as you asked me to. When he became king, he did. 
He tore down all the altars that no one else had torn down. So what he's saying is actually accurate. Look, Lord, I followed you. Remember that. That was a man who followed you. Yeah, I just blew it. I got prideful. I got arrogant. But Lord, I followed you. I'm your man. I worshiped you. I served you. David would write in Psalm 15, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Passages like Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 show that under the old covenant, blessing or cursing was sent to God based on obedience or disobedience. So he's saying, he's making the case. Now for you and I, the only case we can make is, if we cry out to God, is Lord, I've asked you to forgive me. Lord, you forgave me because of the promise that you made that through your shed blood on the cross of Calvary, I know that I'm born again. I know that I've been forgiven even though I don't deserve it. I thank you, Lord, that you've adopted me into your family. I thank you, Lord, that my name's written in the Lamb's book of life. I thank you, Lord, for the promise that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. And we're reminding God of the promises he's made to us. And it's because of Jesus that we stand right before God, not anything else. Amen? But we trust his promises. And praise God for his promises. There was, it says in 2 Kings, back in 18, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him of all the king of Judah, nor were there one before him. So what it's saying is since King David, there hasn't been a king as godly and as faithful as Hezekiah. So the Bible tells us that. And then Hezekiah repeats that to the Lord after he's had this prideful moment. And he cries out and says, but Lord, I've been faithful to you. Again, under the new covenant, I'm thankful that it's not based on our good works or even our obedience, but God's grace. And again, as Christians, if we've truly been born again, we will obey. Notice it says there, he wept bitterly. It's okay to weep before the Lord. Matter of fact, I think if you don't ever do it, something's wrong. Can I get an amen to that? Few things make me more emotional than spending time alone with the Lord. Things that make me most emotional, the kingdom of my kids, and it's been that way forever, and my wife, of course, my family. But when you tell God your heart, when you pour out your heart to Him, you know, God is a refuge. It says in, in Psalm 62, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is our refuge for us. We need to be pouring our hearts out to the Lord. When was the last time you turned everything else off, got rid of all the distractions? Go where you need to go. Sometimes for me, it's in my car. I, you, know, I, you guys don't have a sales job. I might have a two and a half hour drive between sales calls and I will just be crying out to the Lord for two. And, I mean, that's a time that I have, there's no distractions in a sense. I'm not, you know, I'm not challenged by anything. And I just spend that time with the Lord. When's the last time you just really fervently spent time with the Lord with no distractions? Not a Holy, you know, not a Holy Spirit rocket over your Wheaties and call it your prayer life. Dear Lord, thank you for this food in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless my day. That's not a prayer life. I mean, okay, yeah, but, you know, can you imagine if your kids talk to you like that? It ran in the morning. Hey, Dad, love you. Okay, give me some money. Bye. And it left. That's not a relationship. Can I get an amen? And after a while, you're going to get a little upset. Guys, when we come before the Lord, I think we've lost sight that we're talking to Almighty God. And he desires to have intimate fellowship with you. And if Almighty God showed up at our house tonight, I think we would turn the TV off, 
to listen to him and to talk to him. Can I get an amen to that? And that's the exhortation here. Hezekiah comes to this place where, yeah, I've lost sight, but Lord. And he weeps bitterly, recognizing how he has fallen short and how he has allowed, how he has allowed the success and the blessings of God to take his eyes off of God. How tragic is it that we can allow the blessings of God to get us to take our eyes off of God? I always pray, Lord, don't give me any more than I can have and that will keep my eyes on you. You know, if we, I don't play the lottery, so I can't win it, but you know, if I won a billion dollars tomorrow, okay, that would probably be a bad thing because it would maybe take my eyes off of the Lord. Amen. And so, so often those things we strive for and God says no to is because he loves us and he wants to walk in intimate fellowship with us. Eternal life was far more uncertain under the old covenant. He's weeping bitterly. You know, in the old covenant, they didn't really fully grasp what would happen after they died. I mean, they, they knew they were putting their faith in the coming Messiah. They knew they were obeying the Lord. We know they didn't go directly to heaven then because they'd go into Abraham's bosom if they had a relationship with God. But they don't have the clarity that we have today. And so if they were in a place and, and they weren't, weren't assured of where they were, boy, they were, there was a desperation. And we see that. And Hezekiah, now watch what it says. So he, he cries out to the Lord. Now watch, the Lord's going to answer right away. Wouldn't it be great if God always answered us right away? Look what he says. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court that the Lord, Lord came to him saying. So he's praying and Isaiah's over here and he's crying out to God. And Isaiah walks out and he doesn't get very far. And the Lord answers his prayer to go back and tell Hezekiah what he would say. Before he could even leave his home or the palace itself. And again, we pray in our time, God answers in his time, and know that his timing is perfect. When God makes us wait, there's a reason for it. He says there, verse 5 Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. Wow. And what I want us to focus on here is not the healing, though that's great. What I love is that God says, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears. When we weep before the Lord, the Bible talks about that he holds like every tear in his hand. He knows every tear that has fallen uh, from your face, every, everything that you've wept over, everything that's broken your heart. You know, as much as I love my son, Mark, Almighty God loves all of us more. And as much as my heart aches when I saw Mark hurting or any of my kids or my grandkids hurting or any of you hurting, the Lord's heart aches even more. Amen? And the Bible talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. And so he, when we hurt, you know, he weeps with those who weep. And he weeps with us as we weep. He sees our tears. And he wants to comfort us in our tears. He wants to assure us in the midst of it. And, and praise God that he hears our prayers. It says in Psalm 56, David wrote, you number my wanderings, you put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? 
And again, apparently there are several customs about tears, one where friends would bring little tear bottles and save the tears of a loved one who was in pain as a reminder of a difficult time. God matches your sorrow with comfort. We've talked about this in 2 Corinthians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort which we have ourselves received and comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation abounds through Christ. Sometimes when people come to me for comfort, I'm running on empty. And it's when God comforts us that it allows us to be able to comfort others. Amen? When we know his comfort, when we know his peace, you can put all your worries in his hands. It says in 1 Peter 5, 7, we'll be there in a few weeks on Sunday, cast your care upon him for he cares for you. You are never alone as a born-again believer. Amen? Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are always on his mind. He ceases never to think about you. I've heard your prayer. You know what? This gives people a headache. If Hezekiah hadn't prayed, would God still have healed him? Here's the reality. God knew that he was going to tell him that he was going to die. God knew that was an opportunity for him to come to the end of himself. He came to the end of himself and prayed, and then God knew what he was already going to do, which is heal him. Amen? Prayer doesn't change God's mind as much as it changes our hearts. See, that prayer really got Hezekiah lined up with the Lord. It didn't change God's mind. Can I get him into that? It got him realizing, oh man, I've blown it. Oh Lord, forgive me. Oh Lord, forgive me. And he's crying out to the Lord. And the Lord realized, now here's the man I can use. There's the Hezekiah that I knew. Here's the one that was walking faithful. Here's the one that tore down the idols. He got full of himself. And now he's come to the end of himself. And then it says there, as we continue on in verse 5, he says, on the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I love it that it's the third day. Amen. When are you going to be healed on the third day? When was our Savior resurrected from the dead? On the third day, the Bible rocks. Verse 6. Then it says, and I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for you my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Now, some believe, again, that the Assyrian battle hadn't taken place yet. But if you read 2 Chronicles 32, it's, it says it had just taken place. It could be that God is simply saying, I'm the one that just won that battle. And any other battles that are coming our way, I've got, you know, I'm in charge. I'm going to be the one that protects my people. Hezekiah, it's not you, it's me. I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who will continue to do so. But he's also letting him know that, again, I'm going to give you 15 more years. Now, it's interesting. I always, when I, like I said, whenever I read through a text, I study it all week. So if you get it for an hour, I get it for 30, right? And when I'm reading texts like this, I think about it. What I, what I want to know, if God came and said, hey, Dave, you got 17 years and two months. Um, you know, would that be good or bad? I think in this case, it's good for Hezekiah. He's letting him know, you, you don't have days now, you got 15 years, but you know what that tells you? You're, kind of, you're, gonna, you're indestructible for the next 15 years, but you only got 15 years to be about it for the kingdom of God. You got 15 years left to, to raise up an offspring after you, to prepare another king uh, that's going to take your place when you die. And he was only 39, which means he was going to live to be 54 years old, and then he was going to die, and he gave him a limited amount of time. Now, guys, we don't know the day or the hour 
A doctor might be able to predict it if we come out down with an illness, but I believe we should live every day like the Lord told us we got a month. Amen? We might not have a month. And there needs to be a sense of urgency. And he tells him, you got 15 years. Again, this speaks of the sovereignty of God. He knew his pronounced judgment upon Hezekiah would bring him to his knees. He knew he was going to add 15 more years to his life and that it would be in response to his prayer. And again, the prayer didn't change God's mind. It changed his heart. And the Lord is going to be the one that defends the city. See, I'm so thankful that God is faithful to his promises. And some of you might say, well, man, he gave him a promise. He told him, you got 15 years. I'm going to do this. I'm going to protect the city for you. And I'm going to make sure that no, no more enemies come against you. And I'm going to be for you. And you might say, I want promises like that. Well, guess what? We got thousands of promises like that. Amen? Amen? Let me give you a few. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is that an amazing promise? What about if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. saved. Born again, new creation in Christ, going to heaven. Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous and do not be afraid or terrified of them. For the Lord your God goes with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise of God. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.18, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's a promise of God. There's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory. You don't have to go give the Catholic Church any money to pray anybody out of purgatory because if they knew the Lord, they close their eyes on earth and they open them up in the presence of Almighty God. Amen? Now, there's thousands of promises. I want to take just a minute. Do any of you have promises in the Word of God that when you think of the promises of God just come to mind right away? Anybody? Don't be shy. Raise your hand. Pastor Joshua. Amen. For those who trust in God, the called according to his purpose. Amen. Yes. I know the thoughts I have for you. Amen. Jeremiah 29, 11. Amen. That's actually my profile on Facebook right now. A picture of my son with that verse right next to it. So I say amen to that. Pastor Tim. Amen. Guys, I want to encourage you. When you're going through the Bible, here's a good, here's a good way to go through the Bible. Have a notepad. I, I never read my Bible without a pen in my hand. And believe it or not, this Bible has been recovered three times. This is one of the most expensive Bibles in the world because I recovered it three times. I paid $60 for this Bible in 1991. I've recovered it. The last time it cost me 240 bucks to recover it because pages were falling out. And I just, I, I, this is, and it's got all my notes and you're going back to the 90s. And I love to write into my Bible. But I want to encourage you, here's a good thing to do. Write down the promises of God when you're going through the Bible. Write them down. Write the pro, put the promises of God on a, you know, a pad of paper and start writing them down. And guys, God's made those prom- promises to you. And, and when he makes a promise, he's always faithful to it. Amen? He tells us to let our yes be yes or our no be no. His yes is always yes and his no is always no. Amen? We should trust in his promises and praise God for them. And God let Hezekiah know, you got 15 years and I promise I'm going to take care of Israel. I'm going to take care of Judah and Jerusalem. Verse seven, then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil and he recovered. So we didn't know what was wrong with him, but he had some kind of infection that had some kind of a boil that was going to cause his death. 
And then Isaiah gives instruction to go and take fig leaves and put them on there and that the, the boil would be healed. Now, isn't it amazing? Could God just say, boil, go away, and it would go away? Of course he could. But do you know that, that throughout scripture, God often uses medicine or, you know, when he, when he went and spit in the eyes, you know, he said, go down and put, and spit and put the mud in his eyes and he went away and he says, you know, bathe in the pool and he bathes and he comes back and his eyes are healed. Because God also, you know, wants us to take a step of faith sometimes. And you know what? We should never discount the fact that God can, if he chooses to, use medical procedures to bring about his healing. Amen? He doesn't have to, but he can. Amen? I had a coworker years ago, back in the early 90s, she got breast cancer, and she said, I'm just going to trust God. And I said, okay. And uh, when, when are you going to see the doctor? Well, I'm just going to trust God. I said, did God give us doctors? Well, yeah, but I'm just going to trust God. Six months later, she was in heaven. Now, she just refused. Then I said, well, look, if God tells you to do that, that's between you and the Lord. Now, again, can God heal us without going to the doctor? What's the answer? Yes, he can. Sometimes God wants you to go so the doctor can get ministered to. Amen? I don't think I've shared this in this church before. When I was 15 years old, I, had a, I went in to see the, the dentist, and up here, behind this cheekbone, I had a huge mass. He was just doing a, one of those full you know, mouth exams, and there was this huge mass up here about the size of a golf ball. So he sent me over to a, a cancer doctor, and the cancer doctor stuck a needle up there and brought some stuff out, and he said, this doesn't look good. We're going to have to go in, and uh, we're going to have to take out part of your mouth, and they're gonna, I was going to have part of this bone removed, and I was going to have kind of a deformed face if I got through it at all. And so I had three different x-rays from three different doctors. And then my parents, I was going on a Monday, on Sunday, they had me go up in front of the church, and the pastors came and laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I remember they were holding my face, praying for me. And I went in the next day for my surgery. I had my gown on. I was ready to go in, and they were going to have to do some stuff. And my, you know, and my mom and dad said, you're not doing the surgery until I take another x-ray. They go, we got three x-rays, Mr. Johnston. Look, we don't need a fourth one. He said, we're not doing it until you take another x-ray. They said, insurance won't pay for it. He said, don't worry about it. Take another x-ray. Well, they took another x-ray. Guess what? The mass was gone. And what ended up happening was I went back to the dentist. They said, well, what happened? He said, well, the mask is gone. He said, that's not possible. And he pulls up the x-ray. My parents had brought the x-ray and it was gone. And that guy started attending our church and ended up getting saved. So guys, sometimes we go to the doctor so the doctor can get saved. Can I get an amen to that? So God can use that for his glory if he chooses to. And in this case, he said, you know, go get a fig leaf and put it on the boil and even that too is an act of obedience to the Lord. Amen? So difficult times can produce fervent prayer. It certainly did here in Hezekiah's life. Point number three, in difficult times, we must remember that God is in control. Verse eight. It says, and Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign the Lord, that the Lord will heal me? That I should go up to the house on the third day. So they had done what God, had, you know, they put the the leaf on the boil, but he was still told that on the third day he was to go up to the temple. And because he's probably still in some pain and he's worried about being healed, he says to Isaiah, well, how do I know for sure that he's going to heal me? He already told you that he would. Amen. That should be enough. But he still wants to know. And often when we're in pain, we want to hear from God. He wanted a sign. He, if, 
you know, he wanted confirmation that he would indeed be healed. And while God is under no obligation to give Hezekiah any kind of a sign, he chooses to respond to Hezekiah. Now, the Bible says a, a wicked and a perverse generation seeks after a sign, but they're seeking after a sign, kind of openly mocking God and doubting that he is God. Hezekiah knows that he is God. He's asking God for a sign to say, well, how do I know that when I go up there, I'm going to be healed? Can you show me? God doesn't have to. Sometimes he doesn't, but sometimes he does. And this is what he says. Then Isaiah said, this is the sign from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? Now, you might not understand what he's talking about. It's on a sundial. What would happen is the way they would judge time is the sun would hit the sundial and it would just slowly move forward and you would be able to tell the time by the shadow that falls on the sundial and it would always just move forward, you know, according to what time it was, it would move slowly. And he said, you know, basically says, paraphrase, which one's easier to make it move forward 10 minutes immediately or make it go backwards 10 minutes? Either one would be a miracle, but going forward could happen if it just happened quicker So what does he say? Look what he says. Hezekiah answered, verse 10, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees, but let it, the shadow go backward. So instead of going forward, let the shadow go backward. Let's rewind time. Can Can we make time go backwards? Can we make the sun move backwards? Can we make the earth move backwards, one or the other? Now watch what happens. Verse 11. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down into the sundial of Ahaz. He made time go. Now people, well, how did that happen? What did God do? Did he turn the world backward? Ten, he, can God turn back? Wait a minute. A guy who creates a watch, can he rewind it? Okay. Who created what the sundial was doing? Almighty God. Amen. He holds the moon, the stars, the sun in his hand and the earth. Amen? And people, and I, I read all these commentators. Well, maybe you did this. Or maybe you refractured. He turned it. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. Can I get amen to that? It's as easy for God to go, take the earth and just go, he can do that. Amen? Well, that would have messed everything up. No, because he's God. Amen? It always cracks me up when they're looking for some scientific answer. And again, we don't need scientific answers because our God is omniscience. Amen? He's the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. It was a miracle. He saw time go backwards. How did that happen? God did it. So the same God that did that can heal you. And now he had assurance that he was going to be healed because God did a miracle. Sometimes we pray for things, and I think it's okay. Not because we're doubting God or questioning God, but we want to be comforted by God, or we want assurance from God. And sometimes God will say no. And I think I've told many of you this, and I'll tell you again. One of the things my wife is praying for is that God would give her a glimpse of our son in heaven in a dream or a vision or something like that. And and, and she had one recently. But she's continuing to pray for more. And I, and I don't think that that's wrong. I think he's the God of all comfort. Amen. And he can do that. And if he says, no, we still trust him. Amen. And it's okay. And that's kind of what happened here. He asked and God showed him. Our God is in control. 
He's the great physician that can heal any illness. He's the creator and has complete control over creation. He is greater than every enemy. He's the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God. He loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. He gave us his Holy Spirit to convict us, to give us a down payment on heaven. Guys, we have the promises of God. God is faithful. God is in control. We have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to be anxious over, although we're all anxious and all worried and all fearful at times. Can I get an amen to that? But it's not because we, we need to be, and it's not because there's even a reason to be. Because if God is in control, and he is, then we can trust him. He's a faithful God. So in difficult times, we must remember that God is in control and he's faithful. Point number four, we can cease to be desperate for God and become self-sufficient, and God will leave us alone. Here's what happens. Okay, Hezekiah, bro. Okay, first, you were such a faithful man, you tore down all the altars. And then God brought a mighty victory. And you kind of were resting on yourself and kind of taking credit for it. So then God got your attention and told you you were going to die. So then you cried out to the Lord and the Lord gave you 15 more years and he healed you. Now watch what happens. Verse 12. At the time, Baradak Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So Hezekiah's sickness is, gets out. But there are nations around them, including Babylon, who was not as great yet as they would become. The Babylonians are going to take the children of Israel, and they're going to take them captive. We all know that. It's coming. But at this time, they write a letter to say, hey, I'm sorry to hear you're sick. They send a present. I don't think he, had, I don't think he has any love for Hezekiah. I think the word's out. They got an angel killed 185,000 people. Probably good to be on their side. Amen. So their motivations are not the purest. And he writes this letter to Hezekiah and sends him a present. And he's trying to work his way in to get in good stead with the man whose God can wipe out 185,000 of the Assyrians. Assyrians had one of, if not the greatest army on the planet, and they were snuffed out without Hezekiah and the armor doing anything. God did it. God wiped him out. Now, what's interesting too, the Babylonians, their God was the sun God. And no doubt word got back that God stopped the sun. Amen? Or he moved the earth backwards. They, they worshiped the sun and the earth. They're like, dude, their God has an angel, kills 185,000 people, and he can stop the sun and the earth. I think we need to get on that guy's side. And so they send this letter when their motivation isn't anything other than to find a way to get him to be, get them to be allies with uh, Babylon, between Babylon and Israel or Judah. So it says, and Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all of his armory and all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Now, does this sound like a good idea? You've got a neighboring army, and you bring him into your house and show him all your stuff. Look at all the money we've got. Look at all the gold and silver we've got. Look at all the armor we've got. Look at all of our shields. Look at all. And so what are you doing is you're bringing the enemy in, and enticing him with the very things he can steal from you later. 
And what it really is, why would he show them all this stuff? There's one word for it. What would it be? Pride. Dude, you had pride back in verse one and God got, grabbed a hold of you and here you are having pride again. Now, none of us ever struggle with pride. <laughs> I work in sales, as most of you know. You want to see a bunch of prideful people, salespeople. And a lot of the reason is because you compete against each other, the numbers are on the wall, and if you do really well, you're admired, and if you don't do so, you know. And so there's this, a lot of chest bumping, and it's not, you know, a lot of, oh, you know, and everybody, it, they, you know, and it's so funny, the job I work for, you're compared with other reps. So if someone else does well, it could cost you your job, and if someone else does poorly, you look better. So instead of weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, they rejoice with those who weep and weep with those who rejoice. Because if you had a big sale, they're like, oh, congratulations. You know what I mean? And if you're doing horrible, oh, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear that. And so there's this mentality of pride, and it's so easy to get caught up in it. When I first went to work for the company I work for now, I told the guy that hired me, I said, I'm going to be the number one rep in the company. I was in my early 20s. I wasn't a pastor yet. And I said, I'm going to be the number one rep in the company my first year here. Just period. Write it down. It's going to happen. And you know what? I worked hard, and I was the number one rep in the company in the whole country. And they had me get up at the Anaheim Convention Center and speak to all these people. And I was 25 years old. And I was the number one sales guy in the country. They had me do videos and teaching people how to sell, which may be real popular with the other reps, by the way. They really love that. Sit down and watch him sell. And, then, and I'm a kid and they got kids older than me. I'm driving home after winning that award. I pulled off the road in Acton on the way home and I cried out to God because I'm like, okay, I won the sales award. I made all this money. I've got a beautiful wife and a beautiful daughter in this big house. And so what? Your flesh will never be satisfied. So what? That thing that you strive for, that you think will be the thing that will make you happy, you get it, then you realize none of this will matter in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? And I cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, whatever you want to do with my life. And shortly after that, my pastor asked me to be the youth pastor of the church. I've been in ministry ever since. But the point I'm making is that we can all get caught up in pride, because I certainly did. And as a young man, I went from playing college football to being a competitive weightlifter. You know that, never know that looking at me now because I'm, I'm Pee Wee Herman up here. But, you know, back in the day, I used to do competitive bench. I just went from one thing to the next thing to the next thing that was super competitive and just really feeds your pride. The Bible says a young man's pride is in his strength. Young men love to be strong. And you've kind of, you got to come to a place where you realize that stuff's all wood, hay, and stubble. It's all going to burn and none of it matters. Can I get an amen to that? And sometimes you have to come to the end of yourself. And here, Hezekiah, look at all my stuff. Check it out. Look at all the shields we've got. Look at all the armor we've got. Look at that stack of gold over. That's nothing. That's only part of it. Look at all of our silver. Guess who's going to come back soon and take all of it? The Babylonians. It's be like parking your car in a crime-ridden neighborhood and showing everybody how fancy your car was and leaving the keys in it with money hanging out the doors. I mean, it's going to be gone. Amen. And that's what's happening here. They're just enticing these, you know, hoodlums, these guys who don't care about them. And so the ambassadors and princes of Babylon were, were given this tour by him. And there's five things here quickly that we see in his life. You'll see that there in, under the, the section of number four. Five areas of sin that separate us from God. Pride, ingratitude, 
abusing the gifts God has given us, carnal confidence, and missing out on divine appointments. You know where he should have taken them instead of the armory and showing them all their stuff? He should have taken them over to the temple and said, this is the bronze laver, and this is where we make sacrifices. And then this is, you know, I mean, the bronze altar. And then he take them to the bronze laver. And then he said, inside there is the, you know, the golden lampstand. And, and inside, and then there's a table of showbread. And then, you know, the whole, and then there's an altar of incense. And then there's the holy of holies. And we sprinkle the blood and talk about the sacrifices and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? Instead, he's like, check out my stuff. Got a pretty sweet house, man. Got some stuff, man. Let me show you. It's all focusing on him instead of pointing people to the Lord. Should have been pointing him to the Lord, amen? And he missed it. He missed that divine appointment because he was filled with pride. Number five, verses 14 and 19, he says, Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, Why did these men say, and from where did they, where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came from a far country, from Babylon. Oh, don't worry about it. They're not locals. They live really far away. Don't worry about it. They're not going to be an issue. Uh, we'll see how that works out. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So he said, well, they've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures. I did not show them. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, uh, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon and nothing left shall be left, says the Lord. So you brought them in the house. You showed them all the stuff. They're coming back. They're not only going to take your stuff, but look at verse 18. It says in verse 18, they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Who are some of these people it's talking about? Who's one, who's what very profound one of his descendants that was going to be taken away to Babylon and numbered amongst the eunuchs? What's his name? Daniel. So he said, look, in your arrogance, you, you were prideful and full of yourself, and then God told you you were going to die. So you got down on your face and you prayed. And then God healed you and restored you. But then when people came to the land, you went right back to your prideful self and you showed them all your, first of all, none of this stuff is yours. It's all God's. Amen. 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 None of our stuff is ours. It's all God's. Amen. Amen. That sales, that crystal sales trophy, which I threw in the trash about three weeks later, but that crystal sales trophy I strive for, that was God's too. Can I get an amen to that? Anything that we have, it belongs to the Lord. And to Him alone be all the glory. And we want to be good stewards of what God has given us. And instead, He uses it to puff Himself up. Look at me. What kind of man I am. Look what I've done. And then the Lord says, well, guess what? You're getting it all ripped away from you. It's not going to last. By the way, it's all going to burn. Can I get an amen to that? You know, the scary part is, Hezekiah was godly. He was victorious. He was healed. He had experienced a miracle. He had been promised a long life. He had a connection to a great prophet in Isaiah. He had seen a remarkable sign. He was wealthy. He was famous. He was praised and honored. He was honored by God. And instead of humbly thanking the Lord for all that God had given him, he became prideful and self-centered. Take heed lest ye fall. Even in ministry, you'll, you'll see pastors, you'll, you'll see people in missions or whatever they're doing for the Lord, or you have Christian rock or Christian music, and all of a sudden they, they start to become celebrities. There's only one celebrity in Christianity, his name is Jesus Christ. 
we don't worship men, we worship God. Amen? Every once in a while, I'll run into somebody and they'll go, hey, I listen to you on the radio. And then they'll get all, they'll get all excited about it. I'm like, go talk to my wife. You won't be that excited anymore. Can I get an amen? You know, there's this mentality like, oh, you're famous. I'm like, no, there's only one famous one. His name's Jesus. Amen? Why are we enamored with anybody but the Lord? Amen? Don't get so caught up in that. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of this pastor. I'm of that pastor. Amen? Now watch what he says. This is brutal. So Hezekiah said, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. What? Are you paying attention? He just told him all your stuff's going to be ripped away from you and your sons are going to be taken into captivity. And here's basically what he says. What you have said is good. For will there not be peace and truth at least in my days? Is this the most self-centered person? Here's what he's saying. Oh, that's too bad that my kids and my grandkids are going to be taken captive, but it's all going to be good while I'm here. He's so focused on himself that he's not even worried about what's going to happen to anybody else. This is one of the most self-centered things in all of the Bible. What's well, a good thing? Oh, so there's going to be punishment, but it's going to, this, he's, I'm going to start calling Hezekiah Yoch, right? Jesus, others, yourself. He's yourself, others, and then Jesus, amen, then God, amen? He is, all he cares about is, yeah, okay, my kids and my grandkids are going to be ripped away and taken captive and enslaved in Babylon, but I'm going to be okay because it's all about me. Self-centeredness keeps us from God's will. See, he had gotten so caught up that he wasn't worried about what the word of God said. He wasn't worried about being faithful to God at the moment. This guy had started well. He had seen all those promises. And yet this is how he ends. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might and how he made a pool in a tunnel and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of Chronicles and the kings of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers. The Manasseh, his son reigned in his place. What's interesting is when his son becomes king, he's only 12 years old. So his son was born during the extra 15 years that he had. And in some ways, it would have been better if he hadn't had those extra 15 years because Manasseh ends up being the most evil king that there has ever been in Judah. And you know what? I'm not surprised because his dad didn't even care about the next generation. He only cared about himself. And that is so tragic to see how Hezekiah finished. He started so well, tearing all the altars down. He started so well doing things that no one else would do. It says of him in the word of God that he was the greatest king that Judah ever had. And yet at the end of his life, he's only worried about himself. And guys, you know why we don't share our faith? Because sometimes we're more worried about ourselves than we are worried about others. Amen? It's tragic. So in closing... Blessings of difficulty and pitfalls of success. Difficult times in our lives keep us humble. There's a great temptation to become prideful in times of success, to take credit for what the Lord has done. And it's good when the Lord brings us to the end of ourselves so we are not so puffed up. We're not focused on ourselves, we're focused on Him. Difficult times can produce fervent prayer. My, my most fervent times of prayer is when I'm in the greatest difficulty, and I'm sure that's probably true for you too. When you don't know what to do, when you can't fix it, um, you know, when things are going with your children or whatever it may be, it drives you to your knees like nothing else. 
And praise God for that, for fervent prayer. In difficult times, we must remember that God is in control. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what the world has to say, it is so good to know that God not only is in control, but we've read the end of the book and God wins. Amen? We're going to come back with him. And we're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years upon the earth. And I can't wait. Amen? He came the first time on a donkey. He's coming back on a white horse next time. And he's going to bring the sword with him. When we cease to be desperate for God we become, and become self-sufficient, God leaves us alone. That's what exactly what happened with Hezekiah. He was so caught up in himself and his wealth and his riches that God just left him to himself. Guys, if you don't spend time with God, you can't expect God to walk with you. If you reject him, spend no time with him, you don't talk to him, you don't spend time in prayer, you're not in fellowship, you're not seeking the Lord, you can't expect God to be walking alongside you. Again, when you're laying down in green pastures, sometimes you forget where the shepherd is. Amen? So he may walk you through the valley of the shadow of death. You start hanging on to him again. Amen? Number five, self-centeredness can keep us from God's will. We all struggle with it. We all focus on ourselves way more than we should. Can I get an amen to that? My three fa- the three people I think about this, my, the most are me, myself, and I. Amen? And too often we think about ourselves way more than we should. And Lord, help us to finish strong. We got a vapor of time. And again, I said it already, if you knew you only had a certain amount of time left, what would you do? You knew you had a week left or a month left, who would you call? Can I encourage you to call them? Amen? Don't wait till it's too late. Reach out to them now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. And Lord, we thank you that even in the midst of trials, that we can trust you and that you're a faithful God. Lord, though you slay us, yet will we trust in you. And help us, Lord not to get caught up in being prideful, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. Help us to love you and love people. That's what you've called us to do, to fulfill the great commission, to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors, ourselves. Lord, we pray for divine appointments this week. We pray for people that we need to forgive or we need to ask for, for forgiveness. We pray for people that you put on our hearts to share our faith with, and we've kept it to ourselves. Help us to get out of our comfort zone and to reach out to them. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, when you come back, you would find us busy about your work. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, 